Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. It's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Well, good morning to you, Doxology. It's great to worship with you this morning, whether you're joining us in the living room or a theater room, if you're around the kitchen table, Or if all of those places are places you're planning to go later after church this morning, right after you get out of bed. It is really good to be with you this morning. Hey, grab a Bible and uh, meet me in Joshua chapter 2 today. Joshua chapter 2. 
while you're finding Joshua chapter two, uh, let me say hey to those of you that are joining us as a family this morning and a special hey to kids that are joining us. And in fact, uh, kids, I need you to do something for me real quick, okay? In just a second, your mom or dad or grandparents or whoever you're with this morning, they're gonna find Joshua too. And there's a decent chance if they're familiar with the story, their eyes are gonna get a little big when they realize what we're talking about today, okay? I need you to do me a favor when that happens. Just look at them and say, it's cool, mom, or it's cool, dad. He knows that we're here, okay? It's cool. He knows I'm here. All right, can you do that? All right, Joshua chapter two, I'll meet you there in, uh, in just a second. Had a friend this week uh, who reminded me of a scene in one of my very favorite movies of all time. Some of you will have time to watch it. I realize some of you are finding yourself with a little extra discretionary time on your hands these days. Uh, some of us aren't. Like we're wondering where the rest of you are finding all of this extra time that people are supposed to be finding these days. My buddy was watching Apollo 13. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, Apollo 13 was supposed to be the third spacecraft to land on the moon. But on the way there, something went really wrong with one of the oxygen tanks, and it changed the whole plan from a mission to get people to the moon to a rescue mission to get the astronauts back home. And there's this moment in the movie, a really powerful moment in the movie, where a couple of the scientists are talking about everything that has gone wrong and everything that could still go wrong. I mean, there's a situation with a parachute. There's a situation with a heat shield. The angle of trajectory has to be just right. And there's a typhoon in the ocean right where they need to land. He says, those are just some of the variables. The other scientist says, I know the variables. This could be one of the worst disasters NASA has ever experienced. And Gene Krantz overhears it. He's the chief flight director who's straightening his tie and fixing his collar and rolling up his sleeves. He's ready to go to work. And you remember what he says in the moment? He looks at those two scientists and he says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. It's a great moment. All right, doxology. The variables around us, they're real today, aren't they? And there are a lot of them things that have already gone wrong, things that could go wrong. There are health variables and economic variables, all of us in the same house at the same time with no escaping each other variables, right? Let's be people who are aware of the variables, clear on the variables, realistic about the variables, but let's be people who don't lose sight of the mission because with all due respect to the variables, doxology, I believe these days could be our finest hour. Here in Joshua 2, we're continuing the journey that we started last week into uncharted territory. God is sending his people into a land where they've never been before. 38 years before Joshua 2, Moses sent 12 spies into the land and 10 of them came back and they said, hey, there are variables. Like there are people already there and they're big. The cities are fortified. This could be one of the greatest disasters in Israel's history. But two of them come back and say, the place is amazing. God's leading us to a land where the cities are already built for us. This could be our finest hour. And yet the majority rules. The people wander around in the wilderness for a whole generation. Now we're 40 years later and God tells the people it's finally time to go. He says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. We talked about that last week. And now in Joshua chapter two, Joshua sends out Two spies, not 12, just two, so that he can be aware and clear and realistic about all the variables, which are still there, in fact, and getting bigger and nearer even than they were before. Does that sound familiar? In uncharted territory, it doesn't really feel like we've come over the crest of the mountain to where things are looking smaller and less scary yet. 
But look what you have in this story. At the end of the day, when you get to the end of this story, the spies come back to Joshua after seeing the variables and they say, with all due respect, this is going to be our finest hour. And yet looking at the story, we realize it's not because they're great spies. (laughs) Actually, they're terrible spies. Terrible spies, an unlikely hero, and a future that turns out better than anyone in the story could have even imagined. Are you ready? Look at verse 1, Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and enter your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. I think that's funny. They don't even really seem to get into the land or into the city. They get to a house at the wall of the city as spies. And yet already the king knows who they are and where they're from and why they're there. It's like playing hide and seek with a toddler. Like I hide. I mean, it seems like these spies are terrible spies. They go into the house of a woman named Rahab, who because of what she did would have had a place where it wouldn't have been abnormal for strange Guilty looking men, especially out of towners to come and go and not be particularly responsive to questions about why they were there or what they were doing. And yet the king finds out who they are and why they're there. There's a knock at the door of Rahab's house and she says to the men, quick, go hide on the roof. I've got some building supplies there. You can hide out underneath them. And the king's messengers say to Rahab, we know they're in there. Send out the spies. Rahab makes up a story turns out isn't true at all. She says to the messengers, you're right. The guys were here, but they were so well disguised and they've already gone. I'm really not in the business of asking a bunch of questions about the guys who stopped by my house. So I'm really not sure I can help you, but good luck with your search. They go away. Rahab goes up on the roof. Look at verse nine. She tells the guys, I know, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear of you has fallen on all so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, what are these guys thinking on the roof, hiding in the building supplies? They're thinking about all the variables, right? The giants, the walls, the kings, the cost of themselves, the cost of their family to Israel, to God's promise if they get caught. They're scared out of their minds and with good reason. This is about to be one of the worst disasters in Israel's history. Do you notice what Rahab tells them? She says, for 40 years, behind the walls that terrified all you Israelites, God's been preparing this city and these people for this moment. Rahab and all of her people have heard the stories of the moments before when Israel's back was against the wall and their God came through for them. From Egypt to kings to countries, God often uses the variables of the past as building blocks for victory in the present. You see that? God often uses the variables of the past as building blocks for victory 
in the present. And Rahab is willing to risk her life for these men because she's heard the stories about their God. Listen, don't miss this. What would need to happen for you to live in such a way that the people who live near you and are nothing like you would be willing to risk their lives to know the same God you do? Isn't that what happens here? What exactly does that look like? Because look, these guys aren't standing tall in her living room ready to face down the messengers from the king. They're hiding up on the roof, just like you and I would have been. In fact, if you look back at all of the stories of Israel that she references, Exodus 14, Numbers 21, all of the times God showed up when the people of Israel's back was against the wall, if you picture them standing tall against the wall and never wavering, you're not picturing the story. God's people nearly 100% of the time are pictured as people whose feet are moving forward while their eyes are looking back. Every single one of their steps saying, I don't don't know, God, are you sure? Like, I don't think we're going to make it. They were scared the whole way. Some of us are going to be scared the whole way. Here's the difference. They followed the promise of God, even in the presence of fear. See, over and over the scriptures encourage us not to fear, but not primarily talking about the emotion of fear talking about a devotion to fear. See, in a fallen world with enemies and giants and coronavirus and messengers from the king who come knocking at the door, you're crazy if you don't feel the emotion of fear from time to time. Question isn't, will you feel the emotion of fear? The question is, will you develop a devotion to fear? What direction is your heart going to turn when you're afraid? These guys are in uncharted territory. They're hiding on the roof and they get an important reminder. and They realize God's used the variables of our past as building blocks for our victory in the present. This could be our finest hour. I just wonder if you can name some of those moments in your life. If today at lunch or after we close, that might not be a great conversation with a spouse or with your family, with a community group when you check in with them. Where are the times in your past that you've been afraid or overwhelmed by all of the variables, but you've seen God come through for you? Might those stories be building blocks that keep your devotion anchored in him when your emotions are all over the place? Stories that keep your feet moving toward his mission to love and serve and take life to people who are near you, even when your eyes see nothing but obstacles in your path? Stories that show you how this could be your finest hour. You know what I love most about this story? If you're just reading it for the very first time, the people you assumed are going to be the hero don't turn out to be the heroes. If you've ever watched a James Bond movie, you assume the spies, they're going to be the ones that save the day, be the heroes of the story. They're not. In fact, we don't even know their names. The person who emerges as the hero in all of this is the person all of us would have voted most likely to be forgotten. It's this lady who has very little figured out when it comes to what it looks like to follow God. The first half of her name comes from the name of a Canaanite God. She grew up in a pagan home, in a pagan land with pagan parents. We can only imagine the kind of past she has or why she does what she does or what she's done all along the way. But in this moment, even though we look through what she does through mature eyes and realize that in her immaturity, she probably did the right thing the wrong way, She takes a step that in good faith she believes will honor the one true God. And God uses it in a way that's even bigger than she had any idea that he would. See, here's the point. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to make a giant spiritual difference. You don't have to be a spiritual giant 
to make a giant spiritual difference. That's so important for you and me during this current season where I believe God wants to use every single one of us to live in such a way that the people who live near us that are nothing like us would give their lives to know the God that we know and find the same hope that we have. And yet some of us just tend to disqualify ourselves from the opportunity because we know we're not spiritual giants yet. We can't figure out what spiritual giant step we would take to make the giant spiritual difference. Maybe God's not calling you to wait until you're a spiritual giant. And maybe he isn't calling you to take a giant step right now. For most of us, the next step's not a giant step. And it doesn't require us being a spiritual giant. It simply requires us to take what we do know about God and live like it's true, whatever that means. That's all Rahab does. For her, it's as simple as this. She's willing to meet an immediate need and connect it to an ultimate truth. She meets an immediate need and connects it to an ultimate truth. Immediate need. These guys need protection and safety. She meets it. And then she tells them why. She says, I know that your God is the God in heaven and on earth below. Now, you probably don't have spies knocking on your door. But are there immediate needs near you that you could meet? Maybe even in the lives of people who are nothing like you. Could you connect it to an ultimate truth? I've heard stories all week this week of neighbors who knew that they had neighbors who were lonely. So they wrote a handwritten note and included a specific prayer. They were praying for God with us to be near to that neighbor. Immediate need, ultimate truth. One guy who found a deal on frozen pizzas delivered them to the people near him that he knew weren't getting out for one reason or another. And he called them to tell them what he just left on their doorstep. And he offered to pray for them before they got off the phone. Immediate need, ultimate truth. Another family, this is awesome, delivered a hundred invitations to mailboxes for anyone who wanted in their neighborhood to come out at a certain time to the end of their driveway to pray for each other from a distance, all at the same time. This is what happened. Isn't that awesome? Listen, you don't have to be a spiritual giant or even necessarily take what feels like a giant step to make a giant spiritual difference. Meet an immediate need. And connect it with an ultimate truth. Notice what happens in the story. When you see a need and meet it, it breeds compassion. And compassion is contagious. She says to the spies, look at verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sister, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. She says, guys, I got a need too. When your God moves, I and my family want to be on the right side of what he does. The spies say, you got a deal. Not having any idea what a big deal the deal is going to turn out to be. She doesn't have any idea either. They say, take this scarlet cord and tie it in your window. If you know the Passover story that she referenced earlier, you know when they say what they're saying, what they're telling her is when God does what God's about to do, And when we come through this street, if we see red above your window, we will see you and cover you and carry you to safety. Come what may. You see what they're doing? They're promising her her own Passover rescue. Fast forward the story. The spies go back. They report to Joshua. The variables are still in place. 
this could be our finest hour. And God leads the people across the river and through the land and around the city and the walls come tumbling down. But not before Joshua chapter 6. Joshua sends the spies back. They find the cord. They protect Rahab and her family. They carry them to safety where they live. The writer says in Joshua 6, to the very day he was writing. What started with an unlikely hero's terrified step toward a God she believed was true ends with her finding rescue from him and forgiveness for her past, hope for her future, and a totally different ending to her family story, which, by the way, doesn't just end in Joshua chapter 6. This woman, it turns out, gets married and has a son. His name's Boaz. Did you know that? Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son who has a son, who has a son named David, who has a son, 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 who adopts a son named Jesus. Rahab shows up in the lineage of the one that God sent to rescue all of mankind, to cover us and to carry us to safety, come what may, in our world. Now, that's not the promise that you'll avoid every battle or every sickness or every heartbreak or every variable. It's not the promise that your story is going to avoid every tragedy, but it's the promise that your story can end in victory. And every single one of us can get in on that promise from strong and courageous spiritual giants like Joshua to terrified spies in hiding to broken prostitutes like Rahab who don't know all the answers, but know enough to trust what they know is true enough to take the next step towards it. Would you bow your head with me? What is your next step from here? If you've never put your trust in Christ, this story from uncharted territory points all of us towards the greatest news you could hear from here. And that's that whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, God sees you and he's come near to you and he offers to cover you and carry you through whatever he carries you to. Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for everything that stood between you and God and he rose from the dead to assure you and me that even the worst case scenario for you is no match for him. And he offers to carry you even through the worst case scenario. All he asks from you is to trust him. You could do that right where you're sitting today. It's as simple as just telling him right where you're at. I'm trusting you to rescue me. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead and I'm receiving life and rescue and forgiveness and hope from you as a gift right where you're sitting in this moment. Father, for all of us who have that assurance, please don't just let doxology be our name. Let us be people who show who you are and what you're like. To live as people in such a way that the people who are near us, who are nothing like us, would risk their lives to get close. And know the God that we know and are following. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.